0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Utopia Podcast, formerly known as Nonprofit U. Our podcast is an extension of our community, and we provide a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm the founder of Nonprofit Utopia, the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders, We provide a safe space for you to improve your leadership skills while building a high-impact organization through networking, professional development, and training. You can find out more about us on nonprofitutopia.com, Facebook, and Twitter. I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often. This is a social show, and we ask that you share the link to today's episode in your networks as we speak. Today's hashtags are Nonprofit Utopia, Forefront, Mission Sustainability Initiative, and Collaboration. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Nonprofit Utopia. The chat room is open and you can post comments and questions. You can also email me questions at Valerie F Leonard at NonprofitUtopia.com. And obviously, if you email me during the show, I will not be able to respond, but you know, just as soon as I can, I will follow up after the show. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about 2.30. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. We encourage you to sign up for our mailing list to keep abreast of the latest developments with the nonprofit Utopia community. We've included a link to our mailing list in the comment section. Partnerships can take on any number of forms, including co locating, sharing back office or fundraising staff, permanent joint programming, and mission based mergers. Whatever form your partnership takes, there's always more to it than meets the eye. While no two collaborations are the same, there are always financial, legal, cultural, and other relational issues to consider. Forefront's Mission Sustainability Initiative, or MSI for short, gives nonprofits the resources that they need to sort it all out and position their partnerships for long-term sustainability. Janita C. Robinson, director of the Mission Sustainability Initiative for Forefront, will talk about MSI, ways organizations can assess their readiness to participate and case studies from some of their grantees, and when I say case studies, I just want to be clear: not every case study is a written documentation of what's going on, you know from time to time, you know there are wonderful examples of great work that has not been formally documented in a document that we would call a case study, but for our purposes for today podcast, we're going to say case study in a very informal sense. We're talking about examples. So I might use the word case study and example interchangeably. All right, so now that we got that out of the way, just want to share a little bit about our guest. Janita C. Robinson is the Director of the Mission Sustainability Initiative at Forefront. Janita began consulting with Forefront in March 2017 as the director of the Mission Sustainability Initiative, Janita is a lawyer by training, having graduated from the University of Chicago Law School and practiced commercial litigation at Sackenhoff and Weaver, now Reed Smith LLP. She has always been drawn to mission driven work. Janita served for four years under the leadership of Arnie Duncan at the Chicago Public Schools and for several years. I'm sorry, for seven years she led Lawyers Lend a Hand to Youth, which provides cash and in-kind support to community-based mentoring programs. She's a Leadership Greater Chicago Fellow, previously served on the boards of the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence and the Illinois Women's Institute for Leadership, and she's an active alum of the Edgar Fellows Program. Janita is a native Chicagoan, born on Chicago's South Side, and while she oscillated between Chicago and Washington, D.C. for several years, she has called the South Loop home for over two decades. So, Janita, thank you so much for being with us today. We're indeed honored to have you on the show, but before we get into the heart of our conversation, can you tell us a little bit about Forefront?
1: Um, I would be happy to, Valerie. Can I just first say thank you for having me on today? And I do just want to acknowledge the context of our call today. Um, So this is being broadcast and recorded on March 16th, which is in the heart of Times of COVID-19, and I just want to acknowledge what that means for our sector as a whole because I know that so many nonprofit leaders and staff and, and constituents being served by nonprofits are feeling anxious about all that's going on, and, and I just want to A, acknowledge it, and B, say to people, please be sure to take care of yourself. Take care of your physical health. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your emotional health. Um, we will get through this. Um, we will work together to get through this, but acknowledge that things are difficult um, mm-hmm. and, and be mindful of yourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you. Forefront, you're welcome. Um, Forefront is a statewide association of nonprofits, foundations, and advisors to nonprofits. And Forefront really serves to help propel the public sector forward. And so they do education and outreach policy work, And then also special Mm -hmm. initiatives like the Mission Sustainability Initiative and also work that they're doing on Census 2020 um, to educate and provide grants to organizations that are doing outreach work on the census. So it's really in some ways a a one-stop shop for people engaged Mm -hmm. in the public sector.
0: Wow. It's amazing how much Forefront has grown um, over, over the years, they weren't always called forefront, but I'm just amazed at the work that that you guys are doing. You've gone from an entity that represents the interests of grant makers, you know, to now representing the interests of grant makers as well as uh, nonprofit organizations to impact the whole um, nonprofit sector, not only in the state of Illinois but nationally. And we really Really appreciate that work.
1: Well, thank you. It it is a whole team, and the team works very hard. They are working hard right now. They recently sent out a Mm -hmm. survey, actually, to nonprofit leaders related to potential impacts to COVID and what resources are needed, and they're convening a lot Mm -hmm. of discussions with philanthropy about being responsive to that, um, which I think is a great example of the work that Forefront does.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. So, tell us about MSI or the Mission Sustainability Initiative and, and what exactly, you know, what actually brought you to this work?
1: So, the MSI, um, interesting enough, I loved when you talked about uh, your work providing a safe space for nonprofits because that's a similar kind of ethos that's behind the MSI because mm-hmm. we really want to help the nonprofit sector to thrive and be agile and collaborative. And we believe that the way to do that is by building learning and resources around partnerships. And um, through me to so this work actually is a lot of personal experience around partnerships in that I, mm-hmm. you mentioned in reading my bio that I led a nonprofit lawyer to the hand to youth for seven years. So that was a smaller nonprofit. Our budget was less than half a million dollars. Um, mm-hmm. I was often the only full-time person, although we had part-time people, and at um, various points in time, we engaged in multiple partnerships. We shared space with the Chicago Bar Association, which was the organization that helped us launch Lawyers on the Hand to You. We also mm-hmm. um, shared staff with another nonprofit that was also in that same space. I served on the board of a national nonprofit that acquired a smaller nonprofit when we hired away their executive director. I also unfortunately Mm -hmm. served on the board of a smaller local nonprofit here in Chicago called Cook County Justice for Children. And we did work Mm -hmm. in the child welfare and juvenile justice area. And at the encouragement of our largest funder, we started thinking about potential merger partners and had many discussions. Um, mm-hmm. And we're, and there were partners, there were potential partners with whom we had mission alignment and whom we had a past history, but for whom it was not mm-hmm. the right time to start down that road. And so mm-hmm. the board and the ED of the nonprofit, we decided to dissolve. And so we dissolved a few years ago because we wanted to dissolve gracefully and thoughtfully, um, mm-hmm. but because we weren't able to, to do a partnership in the end,
0: we made the decision to end. Yeah, that's interesting, you know, the fact that, you know, you're sharing one, I guess, potential exit strategy. So often we get so caught up in the thought of collaboration or merger, and we think of all of the wonderful stuff we're going to do when we're getting into it, but we don't really think about a lot of the practical stuff, and I'm sure you know you deal with that all the time, and we'll get into that, but you guys were very, very thoughtful about it, and rather than pursue something that you felt wouldn't work, you know the average person might kick against the pricks and make try to make it work, <laughs> and then you know deal, deal with the fallout later, but you guys were very thoughtful and decided it wasn't worth. Um, going into something that...
1: I, I give a lot of credit, I will say, to my fellow board members at the time because I think that people were able to put their egos to the side and we realized that mm-hmm. it's not about us, it's about the mission and whether we can sustain and improve the mission going forward. And if we couldn't, how could we end it in the best way um, mm-hmm. and make sure that the information we created, we created some policy work Um, was preserved and potentially carried on by other organizations.
0: That's great. All right. So before I segue into the next question, it sounds to me like one lesson learned is when you start, you need to have an exit strategy, whatever that strategy might be. And, And I'm just wondering, too, you know, when we talk about strategic partnerships, right, that means a lot of, different things to different people. You know, as you and I talked in preparation for this, you know, I had one thought of what it could mean, and, you know, you use it, you know, another way or maybe in a more broad way than I would have anticipated. So just so we're all clear and on the same page for this podcast, what do you mean when you say strategic partnerships?
1: So, I will uh, say, Valerie, that that's my favorite question to answer because I think that you're right <laughs> and that people mean many different things when they say yeah. partnerships or even partnerships. Um, so, right, right. that's TM. Yeah, so the the MSI, in the context of the MSI, we mean something long term or permanent. Um, so, it, it can be a merger, which is what a lot of people instinctively think of, but it can be, as I mentioned, like a co-location or shared staffing. It can be a back office mm-hmm. collaboration or a programmatic joint venture. The thing that I, whenever people reach out to me, I say like, you have to I, you have to think in mind that something that changes the way of doing business for the organizations involved. So mm. if I could give sort of two examples, one of something that you might not think of and one, uh, that is a strategic partnership, and one that you might think of that isn't. Um, I'll start with the one that isn't. Is um, let's say that you run a tutoring program, and that you are going to partner with a new school to offer the tutoring program at that school. So that's a partnership, mm-hmm. but that's not what we refer to as a strategic partnership for them because gotcha. you're still just offering your program. You're just offering it in a different location, right? It hasn't right. changed the way that you're offering it. Um, an example that I love to share, though, it's not a local one. It's out of Pittsburgh. Three senior senior-serving organizations joined together, and they created a single phone number and a website that all seniors in the area could go through to find the services that they need. And those seniors, mm-hmm. when they called or went on the website, were directed to the different agencies for the services, that would best suit them, regardless of who provided it, and the agencies remained independent, independent leadership, independent boards, independent staff, but seniors were better served in the region.
0: And Mm -hmm. I think that's a
1: great example of a programmatic joint venture.
0: Yes, I I love it. I love it. So what about the education that you provide to nonprofits? I I know I learned a whole lot just being on your website and going to your last summit. So, So what a some of the things you do to help people learn more about strategic alliances? So
1: we offer a mix of um, in-person and also online training. We actually have a webinar coming up on April 30th. Um, You can find information about it on the Forefront website, which is myforefront.org by clicking on events. Okay. Um, and again, this is April 30th. It's a webinar. It'll be myself, a woman, Brooke Cunningham, who's with Lazard, a woman, Beth Berg, who's a partner at Sizzling Austin. And we'll be talking about strategic alternatives, um, open mm-hmm. to nonprofits, and the role of boards in deciding on those alternatives. Oh, I love it. So we'll be, Yeah. So we'll be talking about partnerships, but also just other strategic options that are out there for nonprofits to consider and how boards should be engaged in that work. Um, later on this year, we'll be uh, re-offering a workshop that was really popular in 2018 on identifying your organization's culture and then potential cultural integration mm-hmm. if you partner with another organization. And they will mm-hmm. also be doing a new workshop on the role of advisors in working with nonprofits, including attorneys, accountants, and others that help serve our sector. So we really we try to meet the needs and interests of people who are in nonprofits, and this is part of Forefront's broader educational options, but um, as I said, it's a mix of in-person and webinars, and everything mm-hmm. is put on the Forefront website and on the events calendar.
0: Okay. I will definitely make sure that I share those, you know, in my network. And it's, it's uncanny, Janita, you know, you and I are really, you know, just meeting each other. We formally met, what, two weeks ago, <laughs> Right. And it, it's uncanny the way the materials that we're presenting, you know, in the nonprofit utopia community closely align and dovetail with all along for right. forefront. You know, I just feel compelled to share. You know, because you know, last month we were working on collaboration and it just so happens unless you're
1: working on you work. Know, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Isn't that weird?
1: But it's a good it's a good year. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah. I love it. So it is a good weird Valerie and I'm glad that we got to meet in person and I look forward to partnering with you in some way going forward even after this podcast because I think that there is definitely ways in which our collective work and our individual work align
0: okay awesome I'm looking forward to it myself thank you thank you so much righty. so along those lines you know we've got the education right which is I guess, more broad and anyone, I I guess, who's interested can participate. But then if we drill down, I guess, a little bit lower, and not to say that this is less important, but we've got the technical assistance. I would imagine that um, there's a slightly higher bar to participate in the technical assistance. So can you describe what the technical assistance is and that process and what it could look like. And I, I realize that TA varies, you know, from organization to organization. Sure.
1: So um, let me give a slightly long answer to this. Um, but the actually, there's not a, a high bar, at least not meant to be a high bar, to the technical assistance mm-hmm. that we provide the um, oh, to the MSI. So the technical awesome. assistance is really the advice direct support that I get to nonprofits. And from the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, from, like, the conception of the MSI, based off of what other cities were doing, any mm-hmm. nonprofit can reach out to me and set up a time to talk. And, I, and when I say oh, any nonprofit, I mean any nonprofit. People will oftentimes reach out to me and say, oh, I'm a member of Forefront. I was like, well, that's great. But you don't have to be. You or they'll say, like, so-and-so funder referred <laughs> them. That's also wonderful, but you don't need that. Um, right. Awesome. Just need to reach out to yeah, me. It my like Right. Exactly. Right. Nobody
0: <laughs> has to
1: send you. No one. I know it sounds so strange. No. Not, not only does no one have to send you, but when you do reach out, what you will find is I will say, "Well, let's set up a time," and I will send you a link to an online calendar that I have and you can pick Ah, the time that works best for you off the online calendar. So, again, like I'm not prioritizing anyone just because a funder sent them, just saying here's what's available, you pick how my availability matches up with your availability, and then we can talk. Um, The other thing about those conversations, though, that I want people to keep in mind is those conversations are confidential. At the Mm -hmm. MSI, we pride ourselves on being trusted advisors, The sector and part of that trust means that people can talk to me about what they're thinking about in terms of a partnership, and that information goes no further. I will give them advice, I may point them towards upcoming education opportunities that we have, or past opportunities that we've done that are either recorded, the webinars are recorded on our website, or the notes are available, or I may. Send them a case study, which I know we'll talk about a little bit of those later. But that information again, it remains confidential. The only time that I share information that I have received through those calls, and let me just say, like those calls, it, it can be plural. It can. We can have just a mm-hmm. call, but we can also have multiple calls over a time period. I've collected some information. Um, I think there were something like six organizations last year. That I spoke to three or more times, um, mm-hmm. but it, but the the only time that I reveal the content of, the, of the, those conversations I was going to say is if an organization ends up applying for one of our grants, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, then when I'm if I make a recommendation then to the grants committee or the funders committee, that's when that information is then revealed to the funders committee, um, but only up and up only when the organization applies for a grant is that information shared with the funders committee, not before. Um, And even, yeah. So it is meant to provide that safe space um, that you referred to earlier for people to really share what's on their mind. I often tell people like, it's okay. Tell me what's keeping you up at night as you think about your nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and sometimes that is the case. I mean, I've had
0: Mm -hmm.
1: organizations come to me and say that, you know, they were close to finalizing a merger, it's all been approved, and they just needed a little bit of money for something to with the merger. But I've also had EDs tell me, like, I'm not so sure about the long-term sustainability of my organization. We have money now. We have reserves. The board's getting older. I haven't even been able to talk mm-hmm. to my board about this. What should I do? Um, and so mm-hmm. that's the calls are really meant to be a space for the nonprofit to just express their needs and questions. And I answer what mm-hmm. I can and I refer them to others when I can't.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. Now, you also serve as a source of referrals for organizations who are interested in collaboration, right? So I'm curious as to what types of organizations are you referring them to? And I know that's not grammatically correct, but it's no. the um,
1: So the, um, the referrals uh, can happen uh, several okay. different ways. So actually okay. um, sometimes it's like a referral to um, another um uh, organization or entity that has resources. You know, it, I was mentioning somebody unsure about how to talk to their board. Some, I often mm-hmm. refer people to BoardSource, which, as you know, is a national mm-hmm. organization, which is all about good practices mm-hmm. for boards, um, because they have a website, the Power of Possibility, dedicated to partnerships, including some good mm-hmm. discussion guides that people can use to talk about the possibility of partnerships with their board. Um, we also, we have a good, we have a good relationship with the Community Law Project, which is part of the Lawyers' Committee for mm-hmm. Civil Rights and Law, and we've been able, mm-hmm. through that partnership, to match every nonprofit that's needed pro bono or free legal assistance assistance in executing mm-hmm. a partnership with an attorney,
0: oh, great. Um, you know,
1: and with attorney at uh, large law firms whose rates I can't even begin to fathom what they are now. Um, mm-hmm. right. to help with those documents. And then um, the other, I would say, really popular resource that's a for referral for, for people is that we have a list on our website of MSI qualified consultants. And this, um, so the MSI website, which is myforefront.org/msi, um, you'll find mm-hmm. a lot of the things that I'm talking about today. There is a page specifically for. Um, that has this qualified consultants list. And what it is, it's a list of consultants who have submitted a request for qualifications response to us. And Mm -hmm. a subcommittee and I who review the responses have found them to be qualified to provide either strategic planning or partnership exploration or partnership implementation or marketing or rebranding work or human resources integration, or cultural integration, or a myriad of different things related to partnerships. And we then Mm -hmm. provide their information on our website. We provide this, again, it's a resource. It is not, Mm -hmm. if you are going through that process and you want to apply for an MSI grant, you don't have to use somebody on that list, but it's a good starting point. Because in particular, if you've never been through a partnership, you don't know who to call. Right. Um, and, mm-hmm. and then I will say, I'm being a little bit long-winded here, I would say if there are consultants who are listening, if you're wondering about how you get on that list, on that same page is linked the, is linked the RFQ to apply to be on that list. And that mm-hmm. RFQ has no deadline. It is an open deadline. And so you can fill out the response whenever I would just ask that you let me know that you've completed it because when we initially released it. We had a lot of responses that we reviewed. And now that we're past that, I think the list has been up for over two and a half years. I don't look for the responses mm-hmm. unless somebody tells me that a response has been sent in. Um, but that, um, but it's a good resource. And so that's, I think that that's how we refer people to other experts. It's other experts like other organizations, like BoardSource. It's other experts like mm-hmm. the Community Law Project who can partner people with pro bono legal. And it's other experts such as these consultants that are on our website.
0: You know, you have such a really what, innovative way of looking at things, you know, because when I think of mergers, I just think about the financial and legal due diligence. You know, I don't think about the culture. You know, I should, but but I don't. <laughs> you, you know, I, I'm a finance person by by training. Um, but but yes, I I don't think about the culture. I don't think about the marketing aspects and and all that good stuff. But those are things that could make or break you. You know, beyond you know the, the financial stuff. So I I applaud you for for being so comprehensive in your approach. Can I
1: just say, Valerie, um, mm-hmm. I'll accept some credit, but I think that uh, two things have led, for, led to the comprehensiveness of the MSI. Um, one mm-hmm. is that we are modeled off of work that's being done in a few other cities that started before us, including Los Angeles, New York, and Philadelphia. Um, and we've been joined mm-hmm. by Pittsburgh and Dallas, and I think now an uh, entity is, is starting up in Arizona that's also doing similar work. And so we, we relied on people who had previous experience in starting initiatives like this. And then the other thing is that mm-hmm. besides the support that we got from people in other cities, we relied on the expertise that we have here in Chicago. We have a funders committee, but we also have an MSI advisory committee, which is made up of representatives from the funding community, nonprofit leadership and consultants or advisors to nonprofits who really help to set the tone and the structure for this mm-hmm. initiative and provide ongoing advice to me about what things we might want to focus on or add. So that's, I think it. I'll take some credit for the work and kind mm-hmm. of building up this rich, um, uh, initiative, but it's really, it's so many people who've
0: played a role in it. Okay. So I'm going to ask you one more question before we, you know, call out the folks for, you know, phone calls. And, you know, just knowing that you work with Forefront and you have access to a number of resources, right, do you ever work with other departments within Forefront to refer organizations to potential collaborators, or do you kind of steer away from um, being that person that marries people, so to speak? Um,
1: so I steer away from matchmaking, um, and I do that really yeah. because the, the research shows that matchmaking isn't always very successful. Um, again, I'm, uh, to some extent, i relying upon... What some of my colleagues in other cities have learned. We're um, mm-hmm. going on the East Coast, uh, where the match, the matchmaker partnerships did not endure. Um, but we also mm-hmm. have some good research here in Chicago, um, and this is specifically on mergers. Where was a merger research study um, that was done now four years ago, um, and. Uh, And the full report is linked to our website. The executive summary I recommend to everybody. It's only four pages. And that executive summary talks about what things make these, in that case, mergers successful. And a lot of it is a history of partnering, mission alignment, Mm -hmm. cultural alignment. And so these are things, you know, yes, can somebody maybe, I don't it's hard to say, but I, I think, it, it, to answer your question, that's why I shy away from
0: matchmaking. Mm-hmm.
1: I will tell people, you know, because a history of partnering is a good indicator of potential success of a long-term partnership, think about who you've partnered mm-hmm. with in the past. Think about if you are an educational organization doing work with CPS. think about who's at the meetings that you're going to, because um, you might have a similar mission then to yours. Um, mm-hmm. But I do. I refrain from matchmaking.
0: Okay. Good, good, good. All righty. I want to remind <clears throat> excuse me, I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the nonprofit Utopia podcast, and we're speaking with Janita C. Robinson. Janita is the director of Forefront Mission Sustainability Initiative, also known as MSI. And we are now opening up our lines for and you can call right now. That number is 347-884-884. 8-1-2-1. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. And we also have our chat room open, and you can feel free to post questions in our chat room. And I can share those with Janita, and um, she can answer them on air. Alrighty, so thank you so much for, for joining us. All so can you describe... Describe your database of resources that you provide for nonprofits interested in collaboration, and that might be similar to your, you know, to your um, other resources. But you know, is there a database that people can tap into, or they have to call you and then you have a conversation?
1: Yeah, I would say rather than, a database. I, yeah, I would say rather than a database, it's really our MSI website, which as I mentioned, is my forefront backslash msi mm-hmm. because almost everything I've mentioned so far is uh, is linked from that website. Whether it's I general it. information about the MSI and what we offer and how you contact me for tactical assistance, whether it is that qualified list of consultants that I mentioned, there's also an an, F, an FAQ on that website. The board source link that I mentioned to for their website to power possibility that's linked from the website. So all, oh, it's there. People can still reach out to mm-hmm. me. I will. I do often after we speak, I send them links from the website just as a, a reminder and something for them to have um, that they can forward to others or store mm-hmm. for if they need it later. Um, but that's really those are where most of our resources are.
0: Okay. Awesome, awesome. So a significant part of your education program is the MSI Summit, and you typically share lessons learned from your work. And you just had one on, I believe it was March 6th, at Malcolm X College here in Chicago. Can you talk about the purpose of the summit and then share some of the highlights from prior programs? Sure. So
1: this was our second summit. The first one was in October of 2016, um, which really launched the MSI. We really felt like it was time to do a second one to sort of highlight for folks what the initiative is now, because really back in October 2016 it was still a bit of a concept as to how it was going to work. Um, And Mm -hmm. we could talk about how it does work and also highlight some of the folks who have benefited from it. So I was really Mm -hmm. excited by, we had about 270 people turn out for the summit at Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. I love the space for those who've not been Mm -hmm. to Malcolm X. It's a really great conference space that auditorium seats about 450 people. There are breakout rooms right within the space, bathrooms within the space, space to eat. It's a, it's a really great facility and we were able to if we were able to really also touch upon so much of what is the MSI um, you know we started with a great keynote by plenary with Saul Flores who's the deputy governor who talked about her background in the nonprofit sector and her work with La Casa Norte which is part of its own partnership we did a mm-hmm. panel that i moderated which was three um Grantees of the MSI who are in various stages of partnership with other organizations. And then we also had a panel of our funders talk about the role of funders in supporting partnerships. And I felt like that was a, a good um, panel because I don't think, I, I'm not sure how often you get to see funders having candid conversations. In um, responding Not very often to off. questions that were asked, right? Ray. Yes. Not very <laughs> often. <laughs> but I think, you know, Debbie Resnick from Polk, who moderated that, Heather Parish from Pierce, Tina Ramirez, Moon from Healthy Community Foundation, and, say, Hartag-Levin from the Weinberg Foundation, I think they all did a really great job of talking about mm-hmm. how their foundations kind of view this work and then their role with the MSI. So I was really grateful to them.
0: Yeah, what I loved about the conference, well, the summit, I, I was there. Yeah, I i think people did a really good job, including, you know, including yourself, of demystifying what this thing called collaboration is and also kind of debunking some of the myths of what we think it is. And you gave us some really good information as to things that we need to be looking for. It's not just a matter of, what this looks like on an organization chart. It's not just a matter of whether you have the numbers that suggest that, you know, this is financially feasible. It's all that and so much more. And I think so much of the intangible stuff that we can't see, you know, as you touched on before, could probably, you know, make or break your your ability to succeed in the collaboration. So that was one of the takeaways that I had. It's not just a process, it, you know, it's, people, probably even more so than process. So I, I really enjoyed it. I, I walked out of there literally floating on air. I was like, I am so glad that I attended. And, you know, I can say, you know, I think I told you that day, I said, you have far exceeded my wildest expectation. You know, because you're right, people, funders don't typically talk candidly about some of the work they do you know especially when you have so many prospective grantees in the room you know they tend to be a little guarded you know Mm -hmm. I don't think people threw caution to the wind but I think they were very transparent and frank in their discussion and that was so refreshing
1: well I'm glad that we could exceed your expectations Valerie I (laughs) am a lot of thought and planning went into the summit I think that um, we really wanted to spark ideas with people and as you said we wanted to demystify the MSI for folks and help them to understand like what is this resources out there and how anyone can reach out um, you know, and, mm-hmm. on, and on the funders it's, I think it's a testament to um, the funders committee from the outset said that they also wanted to be a learning body and I think they've really mm-hmm. held true to that and, and part mm-hmm. of being a learning body, I think, for them is to be able to reflect upon those learnings. And so that was, you know, that was core to so many of the questions that Debbie asked as moderator about lessons that they themselves as funders have learned from this process.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So Forefront also does case studies to share lessons learned about your work in facilitating collaboration. And again, you know, you have at least one formal case study, but then you know, other in other cases you have examples. So we could start with the SLOMO case study, which is Aspire. They just participated in a merger. Actually did they I don't know if in nonprofits you call it acquirer or is it an affiliation? You know, I work at the hospital? We call we call the subsidiaries affiliates. I I'm not quite sure what called it. I, I didn't read the case study yet, but but at any rate, let me stop talking and you tell us. tell us about Aspire and the role that you guys play. That way, I don't have to mess up anything. No, that's okay. And
1: I don't. And and it's funny how
0: we can sometimes get caught up
1: in like the legal ease of things. And mm-hmm. and I try not to, because I'm just I am no longer a lawyer and haven't been for decades. Um, it, okay. What they did was an asset transfer, so I will say. <laughs> um, okay. And oh. are <laughs> just, even when you talk about mergers, there are different ways of doing it. It can be parent, sub, it can be sole member, it, 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 there are different ways.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: Aspire, okay. so, and yes, as you mentioned, this is a written case study that we've now done, and you can find a link to that on our website. Um, the So Aspire provides services to people with developmental disabilities, as did an organization called North Point Resources. They really focused on different regions, one primarily in the north suburbs in Wisconsin, the other in the west suburbs based in Hillside. Besides who they serve, both also had social enterprise components, right? They had... Mm -hmm. Uh, Aspire makes coffee that they sell. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I understand it's really good coffee. Um, And uh, Aspire, and Jim Kales, who's the CEO, mentioned this at the summit, they had just gone through a sheet of planning process. And as part of their sheet of planning process, they realized that growth would likely come through partnering. And so mm-hmm. they got connected or Jim got connected with uh, Dina Donahue Chase at North Point um, and they started having conversations mm-hmm. and then their board started having conversations. They then worked with a consultant and were able to come to an agreement and they've now merged and they operate um, under a single um, umbrella, um, serving more mm-hmm. people. And, and I just want to talk um, in like the last three sentences that I shared is probably like a year and a half worth of work. Right. So when I (laughs) talk about, you know, they worked with a consultant, so they did a lot of the work that you and I have alluded to earlier in that they did some financial due diligence and they took stock of what their missions were and what their culture was and where there was alignment and where there wasn't perfect alignment and what could be changed and what couldn't be changed going forward. They then signed a formal agreement with lawyers, helped them to craft. And after that agreement, they then decided on how they were going to really work together um, by working on the cultural integration of their staff with realigning some staff positions. Jim at the summit talked about Mm -hmm. how it really was the case that probably before this partnership people at both organizations were wearing 10 different hats, and this allowed mm-hmm. them to really help people to specialize in their work. Um, Ooh, and they, uh, the MSI was able to support them in a few different ways. So I had multiple conversations with Jim and Dina, um, providing them with technical uh, advice. And, and Dina, it's interesting, I think she's maybe even quoted in the case that he was saying this, she thought that they could figure this out on their own, that they didn't need an outside consultant, that they could could bring the boards in towards the end, because they were committed Mm -hmm. to it, she and Jen, making it go forward. Um, But she realized Mm -hmm. in retrospect how helpful it was to actually follow a process. Um, uh, But we gave them a grant to help pay for the consultant to explore the merger and then we gave them a grant after they merged to help uh, with cultural integration work for mm-hmm. the staff. Um, and, and it's still, you know, it's, it's still a work in progress. Um, they will mm-hmm. be, you know, still examining this a year out, two years out, to make sure that they've achieved goals that they set for themselves and that they're staying true to their now combined mission.
0: Well, that is awesome. And then you've also worked with the Chinese Mutual Aid Association, and I, I thought that their story was pretty interesting. But I won't steal your thunder. Let's let's hear from you. Let's hear about the Chinese Mutual Aid Association and the role that MSI played.
1: So it's it's not my thunder. It is that of Chinese Mutual Aid. Um, Indo-American, and now I'm going to blank for a second on the third organization, um, but it'll come to me in a second. Uh, so this mm-hmm. is an interesting one because it, it, it is a um, partnership that is still in progress. It hasn't formalized yet, but they are being very okay. open about the fact that they are in negotiations. Um, but these three organizations which serve Asian Americans around the six county region. Um, including King County, um, Lake County. But, yeah, their service really uh, is extensive. So they have joined together and are exploring um, a joint venture to open a pan-Asian center, um, probably in the near north suburbs, um, like near Skokie. Uh, And they got money from the state to um, help with this. And they came to the MSI and we helped them by helping to pay for a consultant to um, make sure that there is uh, mission and vision alignment around the work they're trying to do and figure out some structure for a partnership Mm -hmm. going forward. So I'm really excited about the possibility of this. Um, Mm -hmm. It has the potential to have a huge impact um, in terms of, you know, once this building is built, but I think even beyond the physical space that might get created, um, because Mm -hmm. MSI isn't about bricks and mortars, I think the partnership that will result from these three organizations and possibly others who may join them down the line, I think is key. I think it's key, and I think mm-hmm. it's you know it's a great example how three organizations can work together on something but still preserve their own individual identity.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I I love that. I mean, that's gonna be huge if they could get. So that's basically almost all of the Chicago land. Area, if I think about it, but, oh, that's the full Chicago metro area, including Chicago and some and the outlying suburbs on all sides. Is that? If
1: I that be accurate. I, I may misquote in terms of like exactly which particular parts of it they serve, um, mm-hmm. but it is a significant part of the Chicago area, and it is. Um, yeah. I just want to. So it's Hanul, Hanul Family
0: Services. That was the third organization. In New American, Family cal- Services. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah it, it sounds huge. The six color mm-hmm. counties. You know that that just. Yeah. That that's pretty impactful, and I I know it's exciting mm-hmm. to to work with that, and and that's not all. They're not all representing one country. Im- immigrants from one country. It's, Various Asian countries, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's correct. Okay, so you've also had some interesting experiences working with folks in the Oak Park River Forest Community Foundation. They are working to facilitate a collaborative process with local arts organizations. So can you tell us a little bit about that work and your role? Sure.
1: So this one was very different in the approach was it wasn't a, an individual nonprofit that reached out originally to me um, for advice. It was uh, Elizabeth Chaudhary, who's the program officer director at the Oak Park, Forest, Oak Park River Forest Community Foundation. And Elizabeth reached out because they have a number or even a plethora, I will say, of arts and cultural organizations in that community and they were looking for ways that the organizations might be able to partner. Um, and as Elizabeth mm-hmm. mentioned, actually, I think it was like my first two weeks at Forefront. I, I think like the first speaking engagement I did was out at the Oak Park River Forest Community Foundation. Um, but mm-hmm. so they worked with a consultant to do some initial assessments on a group of arts and cultural organizations to figure out their readiness to partner And the MSI, Mm -hmm. besides multiple conversations that I had with Elizabeth, um, we ended up giving them what we call our pre exploratory grants. Um, And these are Mm -hmm. smaller grants, no more than like $5,000 per organization that can go towards, as I mentioned, helping to assess an organization's readiness to partner. It can also go towards a group of organizations who want to have a preliminary discussion around the possibility Mm -hmm. of partnerships, and the money can help pay for food and space to meet and a facilitator. Um, And so it started, we provided them with a pre-exploratory grant. From that, um, a few organizations decided not to move forward, Um, but but Mm -hmm. five organizations decided they wanted to move to the exploratory stage of further exploring, and what they decided on was a potential fundraising collaborative. Um, And what that Mm -hmm. will look like is still to be determined, but it might be that they share fundraising staff or fundraising platforms. But so we then gave them an exploratory grant to work with someone to help figure out an agreement about a fundraising um, collaboration. And so it's, again, you know, partnerships can take many different forms for these arts and cultural organizations. This is what they decided they needed And what could help Mm -hmm. further their emissions best? Um, And I think it's really interesting. You know, these organizations. um, When we talk about Aspire, I think Aspire's budget is above ten million dollars. A lot of that is government Mm -hmm. funding because of the populations they serve. These arts and cultural organizations, a lot of them are very, very small organizations. I'm not. I, I can't even remember if any are above 500,000. Um, some probably below 2 or 100,000. Um, really relying upon their volunteer board of directors um, and part-time staff, but they are they are making an impact in they can make more of an impact potentially through this partnership. So it's great that they are thinking about how to make it work to best serve
0: their mm-hmm. community. Okay. This is awesome. And we've got about nine minutes left. So if there are any people who want to call in and make comments or ask questions, the call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121, and you can feel free to post questions in our chat room, and I can share them. Okay, Tamita, we have time for maybe one or two more questions. It depends. But I really do want to use some time to delve into you know what the MSI grant program is. Um, if you can share with us an overview of the grant program and let us know about the criteria and all that good stuff, that would be awesome. Sure.
1: And I think it, it's so interesting that we're down to less than 10 minutes left and we're talking about the grants because. I think that the grants often are the bright, shiny thing that catches people's eye about the MSI, but it is true that mm-hmm. most of what is done is not about the grants. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. know, the technical assistance has probably impacted over 600 organizations. The grants wow. have impacted about 63, um, which is meaningful, right? But it's, it's just a, it's a different magnitude. Uh, so we mm-hmm. provide grants organizations with the one-time cost of exploring or implementing a partnership. And I'm going to break down that sentence uh, a little bit. So I've talked about, it's really three types of grants because it's the pre-exploratory, right? The smaller grants Mm -hmm. of $5,000 or less to help organizations gauge their own readiness to partner or to do some preliminary conversations with another organization or two. The exploratory grants, which help organizations to, as the name indicates, explore with another organization what a partnership can look like with the goal of reaching a final agreement, but they don't always get to a final agreement. Those organizations Mm -hmm. range from $5,000 to $75,000. And then the implementation grants, once an organization has reached a final partnership agreement with another organization, we help with the implementation costs. The pre-explorant mm-hmm. costs are usually for an assessment or a consultant, or as I said, food or space. The exploratory grants are often for a consultant, whether, uh, whether to help with negotiation or due diligence. And the implementation mm-hmm. are often along the lines of cultural integration, database integration, new websites, new branding, new logos, mm-hmm. even putting in oh, collateral okay. materials. You know, if you mm-hmm. letterhead, if you need it. Um, and so we we believe that we cover costs that a lot of other people don't. Um, but mm-hmm. I will just note with a caveat, right, it is one-time cost and one-time external cost. So we don't cover programmatic costs. We don't cover staff time. We recognize that it does take significant staff time to, to get through an exploration implementation of these partnerships that is not something that is within our criteria. Um, but mm-hmm. that's, those are the, some examples of the things that we do cover.
0: Okay, that's, I should, that is awesome. Um, mm-hmm.
1: I should also just say uh, in terms of the process that I know that we're at five minutes left. So um, we really have um, kind of a role in grants process, like people can apply at any time, but I recognize people don't apply at any time. People tend to apply Mm -hmm. around the six deadlines that we have throughout the year, and those are all Mm -hmm. on the MSI website. Um, The benefit I will say about applying by a deadline is that if you apply by the deadline, we guarantee you a response within about 30 Mm -hmm. to 40 days after that deadline. So we have a very quick turnaround. The other Mm -hmm. thing that I just want to mention is that um, unlike the technical assistance, in the education, the grants process mm-hmm. is an invited process. Now to get invited, oh, you see. just start by the, you get it, you start with the technical assistance. So you have the call with me, which is open to anyone. And then that might okay. lead then to the application. And it's not so much about, again, sort of the Chicago way as because we only fund very specific things, just making sure mm-hmm. before somebody starts the grant application, that it is clear that what they are looking for us to fund is something that we actually can fund. Mhm.
0: Well, oh, I love it. I love it. And then finally, um, what are some of the lessons that you've learned in this whole process?
1: Lessons um, that I have learned. I feel like it's sort of a, a, I like the funders to I'm on an ongoing learning process about mm-hmm. this. I think more than, something that I've learned. I will say something that's been reaffirmed for me throughout this is that at the end of the day, people in this sector are really just trying to do do right by those that we serve, right? Really Mm -hmm. trying to do right by their constituents and their stakeholders. And we make such an impact on our society here in Illinois. And it is my hope that through this work with MSI that I can just help these nonprofits to better serve the people
0: they're serving, and to further their, their mission and their impact. Great stuff. Great stuff. All righty. So we have come to the end of our show, and I'd like to thank Janita C. Robinson, Director of Forefront's Mission Sustainability Initiative, for being a guest today. So, Janita, are there any parting thoughts that you want to share before we sign off?
1: I just want to say thank you, Valerie, for giving me this opportunity to talk about down the MSI. Thank you for allowing me to learn a little bit more about Nonprofit Utopia. And I look
0: forward to working with you in the future. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Ditto here. Ditto here. I'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for listening to today's episode of Nonprofit Utopia. I encourage you to go to iTunes and leave a review. We've included instructions in the comment section to guide you through the process and be sure to join us next week when we talk about some of the common problems board members tools they can use to address them all righty so until then you take care and you take care as well janita thanks again thanks you too dollar bye-bye okay all right bye-bye